Something about the weather is it's, it's oh, changing hot, cold, so hot, much. Hot, cold, yeah, hot, cold, hot, cold. It definitely yeah. doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. Not today. No. And frankly, it was a little, I mean, 72 degrees was very, like, pleasant in general. It's a, it's a pleasant it actually, temperature. But since it was, like, January 10th, it was a little disturbing. I was I depressed it, by it. Yeah, I, I found felt it, like this is a real indication of major climate change. I was like, where's the snow and the ice and the miserable January weather we're supposed to get? You know, I've, I've done the thing, too, where you have small talk with people in the neighborhood about the weather. Mm-hmm. And so rather than, like, preach to them about, like, climate change, I was just like, you think something's broken? <laughs> I feel like something's broke. Don't you feel that way? And, you know, they kind of like, yeah, I guess so. Okay, have a good day. I kind of like do it like that because they don't want to hear like the buzzwords. So that's how I try to do it. I find it very strange. Well, welcome, comrades and friends, to this week's uh, episode of the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Uh, we're in the Shadow Rockford Tower. We're in the belly of the beast. We're behind enemy lines, and Carl and I own the means of production. There you go. Uh, tonight's episode is um, unofficially, officially brought to us by, again, Two Stones uh, Brewery. Our patron and friend, uh, Greg, uh, works there from time to time, gets the best kind of beer, free beer. We love the Delco Lager. He just picked us up some Pony Boy Light Lager. If you're watching your waistline or you think you're going to have 18, 20 beers, pick up this uh, Pony Boy from Two Stones. It's good. Thank you, Greg. Uh, tonight's guest uh, is uh, another hero. Uh, I've explained why I think that when we have uh, folks coming in and running for office, especially when they're challenging sort of entrenched interests. Um, so Stephanie Barry is here. She's, um, running in the 21st representative district and, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. And I'm, um, actually kind of taken aback. You're calling us heroes. So for me, this is just, um, stepping up and doing what somebody needed to do. Yeah, I, I guess that's, that's heroic to me, number one. And number two, if you look around, I mean, you can count. Well, luckily, it's harder to count them now. There's more. They seem to be multiplying sort of like uh, exponentially, um, which is super. Um, but again, it's not, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Like, it seems like natural, but I, I, I have the utmost respect for it. Um, you know, I think maybe we'll get into it a little bit later. But, you know, it, you know, just doing something, you know, very sort of innocent and trying to do something nice. You kind of got caught into a small uh, controversy the last time, which, again, this is why people are heroes, because it's not easy. Um, right. Interests fight back, <laughs> you know, over, you know, and, and of course, the smaller you get, the more petty it is. Um, so, yeah, I think you're a hero. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. You're welcome. Um so yeah, we usually start with just like background and like, you know, where where did you grow up? What was it like? So I am not a native Delawarean. I grew up in northern New Jersey. I grew up in a suburb of New York City. Um, my dad was a college professor. My mom, with high education, was a stay-at-home mom. There's a lot of, um, you know, we had that advantage when I was a kid. Um, Madison was a small town, about 15,000 people. So by the time you were in like sixth grade, you knew everybody and everybody's business. But it was a great community to grow up in, had a lot of opportunities. It was great living outside of New York. Um, There were a couple of colleges in town, so it was um, very cultured, very interesting, and um, small town and worldly all at the same time. Yeah, I get that. So what, what, what brought you down here? Uh, to our parts, to our <laughs> to our more boring parts. Well, um, New Jersey is not a place that you can afford to live in, to be blunt. Um, when um, I got married and started a family, needed to find a place that was um, affordable, that had the opportunities that I wanted to afford my family, and um, Wilmington wound up to be a really good choice for us. Cool. Well, what I'm always interested in, in sort of somebody's motivation to sort of get into the political realm, however they're in it. Obviously, you're in it. You're in it, in it. Oh, I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the middle of it. But any kind of um, activism work, candidate, whatever, um, 
were you always into politics? Did did it did it come on you for a particular? Was there a watershed moment, or you know, sort of what was the impetus to sort of even just get involved in the first place, and then maybe the motivation to run for office in the second place? So, what's really interesting about me is I never actually thought myself as an activist, but when I look back over my life, I realize I've been an activist throughout my life. I just never really kind of self-identified that way. I can remember when I was, I believe in fourth or fifth grade, I wrote a letter to the editor that was um, actually writing out about um, libraries banning books. And it was something that I was really incensed about. So it was something that I brought up at a very young age. Um, And in terms of community activism, I really got involved in my hometown when I was just out of college and I was motivated to get involved in saving a house that was at the end of my street. There was a property and a historic house and it was going to be knocked down and a bunch of houses put in, you know, raised for development. And um, it was something that I didn't want to see happen. And I started talking to people and there were a whole bunch of people that didn't want to see it happen either. So we banded together and at the grand old age of 21, I actually filed paperwork to start my first nonprofit organization. And we fight, we, you know, we went to battle. Um, we lost the battle, but I actually think that we won the war in the town because what we managed to do was elevate the awareness of the community about the importance of historic properties. Um, they were very focused on artifacts. There was a, a um, historical society in town, but it had nothing to do with architecture. And ultimately, the preservation group that I helped to fan, um, start got absorbed by the historical society and it became a main core mission of the organization. So um, that started at 21. And after that, it really became... Um, as I became a a mom, I got involved in a lot of stuff in the community more in Delaware. You know, I got involved in my kids' schools. I got involved in um, my civic associations, caring about what was going on around me. Um, I had a little bit less time because I had um, three young boys. But um, when we moved to Pike Creek, a lot of issues came up right in the community. There's um, First, there was a bowling alley property that got um, closed and became under the threat of development. And then subsequently, there was a proposed Wawa there. And then, of course, there's been the ongoing mess with the former Three Little Bakers golf course. And at some level, I've been involved in every little fight, um, more so recently in the last couple of years as I've had more time as my kids have gotten older. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to like the the first sort of um, specific fight was uh, against real estate development. And that's, you know, uh, when you're seated as a representative uh, in Dover, that's not going to end. <laughs> I, don't know, no. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's all, you know, that's everything. That's all we, it seems like we, it's all we talk about sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the wealth and those structures are all kind of built up through just development, development, development. You probably hear that when you get, when you knock doors and talk to people. Um, it's I'm, a main issue in the 21st district is I, everybody, they'll, they'll talk about a whole bunch of things, but it will always come down to traffic and overdevelopment. That's on the forefront of everybody's mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know if I would say I'm from there, but um, I went to St. Mark's for high school. So, you know, I was in Pike Creek all mm-hmm. the time. I lived in Pike Creek for two or three years. I lived in Arundel Apartments when I was a kid, when I was okay. 23 That's in the four. district. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the first, actually, the first time I voted out of college, um, I was living there. There's like a little, it's like a little church when you come out of Arundel. A little, this is still there on uh, Limestone Road. Oh, there's, li- yeah, there are a couple yeah, of churches right little, there. It's yep. across from the Arundel Farms, like, but yeah, I, so I kind of know, I feel like I know the neighborhood, but now I don't get, I, you know, I, I I don't go out there as much. I'd probably be surprised. Even now, I probably haven't been out there in 10 years. Like that, like down Limestone Road, you know. You would be shocked at the changes. Yeah. You haven't been out that way, so. Yeah, so what's going on with the with the Three Little Bakers? I mean, how's, where does that stand now? Oh, we're back in court. <laughs> back in court again. Um, it's been on again, off again, on again, off again. Um, 
right now the the bottom line is the developer who is an out-of-state developer does not want to succumb to the rules and regulations of the county even though they've been court mandated and the last go-round that we had was they were forced to go before the planning board to present their proposal and um, the group that I helped form locally, the Citizens for the Preservation of Pike Creek, I worked with um, Senator Laura Sturgeon um, a couple years ago to form this organization, really was a citizen activist group. And what we managed to do last December was we managed to flood this um, county meeting with over 300 people living in the area who were very, very opposed to the development. and. We basically had five hours of people standing up and saying why they didn't want the development. And there, were, there weren't just reasons like we um, don't want to lose the sunset. We were talking about real issues. We were talking about the, the infrastructure. We were talking about the water issues that are going on. We were talking about the overpopulation of the schools. We had data. and resident after resident stood up and based on that meeting the planning board who was supposed to give the recommendation to the county council on whether or not they should lift the deed restrictions was going to recommend against it and before it got to county council for a vote the developer went back and said we don't like this process we want to have the courts decide whether or not we can actually go through it with it this way so they're trying to circumvent the system again um right now there's no court date it was filed like last february so we're almost a year out again so right now the property is sitting vacant um with no development Are and there... actually a lot of people like it that way yeah let it grow back the way <laughs> absolutely you know, let it grow back to woods i mean what is um now, it's, it seems to me that a lot of the things in that area and all across Newcastle County, probably all across the state, really, the sticking point is these the traffic assessments. Yes. Is that is that part of that, For in this specific case, is are they trying to say that they don't need to do the assessment or they can get uh, exceptions to that assessment, or is it something else? Or is it, other, is it a list of other things? Well, it's a list of other things, but the traffic impact studies that are done, if you actually get down into the, the specifics of them, are kind of ridiculous because they will not really anticipate the amount of traffic. If you go and in my development and you try to turn out of my development onto Skyline Drive anywhere between, let's say, 745 and 9 o'clock in the morning, you have to wait. This is a suburban development onto a suburban road, not a main right-of-way, and you have to wait and wait, and you can sit and watch the cars go by. Steady stream of traffic. They're talking about putting 242 more houses on this small road and having all of the um, residents feed out of one or two roads, and they're saying it's not gonna make an impact. There's already way too much um, traffic. And then if you look beyond and you look at um, Limestone Road, Route 7, Stony Batter Road, Milltown Road, there have been a lot of um, people who have just talked about the backups. I, I live in Pike Creek, obviously. I work in North Wilmington. I can tell you that it can take me up to an hour to drive from my home in Pike Creek to the very base of 202 in rush hour traffic. And they're talking about adding more traffic to that yeah i used to be someone who kind of didn't i didn't rate the traffic issue as much um and then when i moved when, and then in the last five years uh my wife and i share a car so i don't even drive that much anymore i don't drive at night but you know a few times a year i'll have to go so i have a doctor um, near christiana hospital or i'll have to go you know out somewhere to newark or, or do something uh, in the morning, like at, between eight and nine, mm -hmm. and it's within ten minutes. I'm just locked up in traffic somewhere in Newcastle County. Right. It's it. You know. So it is a real for people have to do that every day. It's a real grind. It is a real grind, and it's one of the things that made me realize that we need to really expand our public transit opportunities. Um, from where we are in Pike Creek in the 21st district. There is a bus that goes by. It goes actually from a shopping center on New Linden Hill Road 
and cuts down a little bit on Route 7 and then goes down into um, downtown Wilmington. But we are relatively close to Newark and you cannot get from Pike Creek to Newark on a bus without going backwards, basically toward Wilmington and coming um, back west toward Newark. You can't get anywhere further north than the Pike Creek Shopping Center on Limestone Road. Um, there are bus routes. There are they're all over the place. They're, they've cut some of them, and it's something that we need because there are too many cars on the road. And the only way you're going to get um, less traffic on the road is first of all if you make public trans transit an opportunity, you know, available, and then make it accessible to people. So it's one of the things that I'd like to really look into if I were elected. Yeah, I, I love that talk because I'm a big, I'm a bus guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, even in Wilmington where I have a few options, um, you know, I can walk just maybe one block or I can walk four blocks if I need. But it's, you know, it's still a little tricky. And once you get out, you know, into the suburbs, it's it's rough. There's no, There's really no good option. I mean, there's a few, I, I knew some people who, would go to like park and rides because they didn't want to park downtown. So right. there's a big one like by Price's Corner. Um, so that was a little bit helpful for them. But yeah, most of the options, if there are any, are are few and far between. Well, where I grew up, since it was on a suburban train line from New York, basically the train ran from town to town to town. So there were mul many, many opportunities, not only to get to the next town over, but several town overs. And of course that increases people's um, opportunities in term of, terms of jobs and um, schooling, whatever it is that they're looking for, they're not limited to right wherever they can walk or if they have a car, drive. So something that I think is really important and as our population expands in our state that we need to really invest in. So let's go, let's go to one, another issue on my list and if you don't mind, we can start making some separation between yourself and your opponent. Sure. I, I always like to do that. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Um, so um, producer Carl and I, who's here tonight, uh, on the knobs, we went down with a group of folks uh, to Dover on Tuesday um, to stand with uh, some union folks who were uh, rallying for the $15 minimum wage. Right. Now... Um, afterwards, Kobe Owens was there. I heard him interviewed and a few other people were there that we know. And I heard more than one person, um, kind of just try to get a reaction or, or, or in discussing the issue, talk about basically the carve outs that were done the last time. And they would make excuses like, well, aren't these, you know, jobs for kids or aren't these starter jobs, whatever, whatever that is. Um, <clears throat> and all I kept thinking to myself was it, it doesn't really matter what kind of job it is. You know, if, if you're working, you should be paid, you know, a, a, a livable wage. Absolutely. I don't care if you're 17 years old. Uh, I don't care what kind of work you do. Uh, I, I simply don't, don't, don't care. Um, and I, I know that I've, I've seen some of your literature and I know that's something um, that you, it's high on your list. So I want to just give you some time to talk about that. And then I'm going to make a, another point about it. Okay. Well, the um, minimum wage, uh, I don't even like the terminology. I, I really do think that people need to be paid a livable wage no matter what. And in terms of um, what's going on in our state with it, I find it a particularly egregious that we have a two-tier wage system. Um, for me, it's equal work, equal pay. And that's something that I've believed in. I think People have worked very hard. Um, lawmakers have worked very hard over time to try to bring equality throughout um, a wage system. And unfortunately, we were our hand was forced a couple of years ago to pass a two-tier wage system for a youth and training wage that, of course, um, my opponent was the um, prime sponsor on. Yeah, and let's be very clear. Um, your opponent has personal material benefit in his business outside of his legislative business by by exploiting labor and paying people less money so i hear that I, right i mean we can draw a line of demarcation here like you don't have to say it so i'll say it but that my understanding is that he exploits people's labor for money that's how i would put it 
And so, again, I don't care whether, um, you know, I don't care how old somebody is or what kind of work they do. Um, you can't, you know, you can't pay them, you know, like you pay a 12-year-old to mow your lawn. That's, that's not how the world works. No. Um, and so I'm always very suspicious of people who have, um, who have personal incentive uh, to exploit other people. Well, I do. I do as well, but I'll, I'm going to take it on a personal level for me and not, and not talk about my opponent. So what really bothered me about this um, bill being pushed through was a couple of things. First of all, the language about um, kids don't need money. Um, and people who have talked to me know, know this is about me. So I'm a single mom. My, my youngest son is now 18. He's a freshman at Dell Tech. But um, we've struggled financially over the last couple of years. I get, I get tremendous support from my parents. Um, but things that I, were a I was able to provide for my older kids when we had more funds, I wasn't able to provide for my youngest son. And that included things like, I don't know, helping him get car insurance, um, helping him pay for clothes, help him actually now even pay for books for college. These are all expenses that he's taken on himself. And he's taken them on and he started working when he was 15 and contributing to expenses of the household because he understood that my funds were limited. And the idea that somebody could say, hey, you know what, kids don't need money. Well, he did need money. He needed money for some basic things. He needed money to provide for transportation so he could get to a job, so he could actually get to school um, now in um, Dell Tech in college. You know, and I'm probably at the high end of this. I know that there are a lot of people out there that are counting on incomes from all wage earners in their household and to say that it's all for fluff you know for fun for friday night movies i find actually quite offensive i agree uh it's it's insulting to everybody that works um uh, you know i like i said i i take it the step where i think that story's very impactful and i think it it, it probably describes a lot of people absolutely and, it, and, and 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 those stories are probably even more profound when you think of of, of uh, you know, 17, 18 year olds who are really, really a second income, definitely provide not even just niceties, you know, books or being able to pay for car insurance, but being able to pay for food. Um, but the fact of the matter is that I don't think people's personal situations need to be interrogated to determine how much uh, they should earn doing a particular job. I don't think so either. I don't care what they're, what they're you know what I mean? I, it's, I, I hope that people see both of those things and, and really realize sort of what's going on because it's, um, you know, it's a super issue. We heard um, some of the folks um, speak at the rally. It's um, SEIU, I guess, the um, the, the industrial cleaners right. uh, from Wilmington. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, these are the people, all of these all of these people around us uh, outside the bunker in, this, in our uh, enemy territory here, you know, they all go to those buildings and, you know, the bathrooms are clean, the floors are waxed or, or, or vacuumed and everything's dusted and they, and, and they just don't care. Um, you know, it's just not, um, people, they need to start uh, understanding sort of the gravity of it and that there is no carve out, right. there's no means test. It doesn't matter what somebody's, you know, sort of situation or circumstance is, um, that no one's should be exploited when they go to work. No. And I don't think you're, I think you're right when you say that not everyone needs to be interrogated and not everyone's story needs to be told, but you know, all you need to do is look at the fact that people are struggling. You know, certainly in my district, this is a district of um, hardworking families. You know, money is not flowing and, you know, every little dollar counts. And no matter where it comes from, I think that anybody doing whatever job needs to be paid a, a livable wage. But I wanted to get back to um, the other thing that I found particularly offensive about this bill um, was really the, um, the middle of the night blackmail scheme of it um that that really troubled me it um the the two-tier wage system was basically pushed through as a means by getting the bond bill passed in 2018 on the last night of the legislative session and i do not think this is how bills should get pushed through 
I understand that there's, you know, a lot of um, negotiations behind the scenes, but this was this was ridiculous. I mean, this we're going to hold up the entire economy of the state to save um, small businesses 50 cents an hour. I mean, it, there's just no balance there. Um, this is the kind of thing that I'd really like to see eliminated from any type of bill passing in the General Assembly. Yeah, we've talked about a little bit about sort of the mechanics of the way things work in Dover. And when we talk about it, it's it's almost, you know, it's disappointing um, because you get to the end of the session the last time and really everything just waits to the end and, and everybody gets excited and does carve outs and does amendments. And then at the end of the day, you're like, well, what did we do? How we didn't really do that much. Right. We had a lot of, you know, it was a lot of talk and and it's just sort of, like you said, background. I think the same thing happened with the gun issue. You know, it looked like things were getting pushed and then you just sort of push buttons or you get somebody to make an angry phone call or you get, you know, 200 yahoos to show up. And then all of a sudden everything you worked for is is is, is just it's over at the at, at the at the 11th hour. So. Right. Um, yeah. What is your my my position on guns is actually uh, kind of unique. I, I have a sort of a certain type of feeling about it. I mean, what, what is your position? Because that's a big hot topic in Dover. I'm not as interested in it as a lot of people are, but I'm just interested in your take on it. Um, so I'm not personally a gun person. Um, I, I I would say probably I actually shot a gun once. <laughs> okay. Um, I to be fair, I was in Texas at the time, so that's kind of legit. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've shot guns in other states too, so don't so, worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I um. I'm appalled at what's going on with gun violence. You know, I saw today that there was another uh, another kid that was being transported in Newcastle that had been shot multiple times. And my heart goes out to the the family, to the victims, and what I what I see is an absolute need to get um as many guns off the street as possible. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And I I come at it from a completely different angle, but at the end of the day, I think we agree. It's, it, you know, I I I grew up around guns more or less. My grandfather was a hunter, so you know, I, you know, I've fired guns. I, my my father owns guns. My brother, I shot um, shot tin cans. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't that, shoot an that, animal. That, that yeah, but <laughs> but again, I, like, but so so I I can I can I can get with that part of it, but the 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 way it's fetishized. Uh, and having this as some sort of um, some sort of avatar of I don't know freedom. I mean, it's never very clear what it is. Um, yeah, it needs it really needs to be dealt with somehow. There's no reason to have you know uh, semi-automatic long guns on the street. There's no there's no reason for it. No, there isn't. Um, and the, you know, and I'm a Second Amendment person too. It says well regulated. I don't know if anybody if they missed those two words. It's very clear in there. Well regulated. <laughs> so we can make some regulations that may deal well with the problem. I think. Well, so, I think so too. I mean, it certainly made some um, great strides in um, gun legislation, but the assault weapon ban needs to be passed. Magazine size limits need to be addressed. Um, and these are critical because, like I said, um, it's not that I am opposed to the Second Amendment, but I just think that there need to be really serious limitations on how guns are available to most people. I was really glad to see some of the red flag laws um, pass because I think that's critical. Um, you know, certainly, you know, if you know anything about my platform, I'm certainly um, supportive of trying to increase mental health awareness and um, accessibility. And for me, that kind of goes hand in hand. So red flag laws and, you know, kind of tagging people that may be at a critical point in their lives or in crisis, making sure that they don't have access to guns and a certainly um, guns of mass destruction. <laughs> yeah, I think the two pushbacks that I, that, that I hear, one is just a broader one that, um, and it's, you know, it's more or less a racist trope. But that, you know, the shootings, say, in Wilmington uh, or in Dover or actually they're happening all over now, um, are, are uh, a lot of handgun shootings. Mm -hmm. um, and that's generally what we see. The, 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 the automatic weapons come up like mass shootings. Um, you know, luckily in this area, we haven't had one of those as far as I know. I guess we've had a couple standoffs. 
There was one in Bear. I think the guy was firing a long gun. But in any in any case, that's the one pushback. I go, well, it's not going to solve this problem. Well, you, of course it's not. It's not going to solve the problem of of a, of a gang of kids passing around a nine millimeter, you know, around a, a gang. That's not going to solve that problem. Right. But if you want to solve that problem, I have some solutions for that. Actually, <laughs> if you want to talk about that, but it's that's not a gun. But you have to start somewhere. And if 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 as you said, if if you can if you can take away the most dangerous you know killing tools and just say we have to draw a line somewhere, this is not appropriate. Well, I think part of it is philosophically, you have to be able to be taking a stand on something. You know, if if the the um, general assembly, if the state is going to take a stand and say, you know what, we're going to be serious about protecting people, forget about guns, but you know, our protecting our people is what's come first. And we start looking and chipping away at legislation that is going or, you know, providing legislation that's going to protect people and looking at limiting um, gun rights is one of them, then that becomes kind of a moral priority in the state. So you're right, you do have to start somewhere. And this is obviously, you're, you're not going to start with an all-out weapons ban, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah, and again, I think we both sort of agreed. I don't even think we're, that's that's the other issue, the other broad issue that it's tough to get around is when no one that I'm aware of is calling for or demanding an all-out weapons ban. No. I, I think we, we certainly wouldn't start this way if we had it to start, but it is what it is. The Second Amendment says what it says. There's a tradition of, of handguns and hunting and personal protection and, and hunting and, and shooting, uh, you know, sports shooting and all that. I think all that's fine. And uh, I, for some reason, the folks who do that um, think that they're, think that people are going to come knock on their door and, and confiscate all their guns. And that's not what anybody's looking to do. Right. Um, and it, that's been very clear, I think, very clearly communicated to people. But, it, you know, it's a hot button issue. They don't want to hear it. So True. All right, one more topic. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna smoke it because I know you're not feeling well, <laughs> and I don't want to. I know you, you caught a little cold, and I'm gonna. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have mercy on you. Well, I I'm, appreciate I'm not that. Gonna, I'm not gonna light this up. <coughs> but as we know, the other thing that fuels the bunker is marijuana. Right. Gotta have it. I love it. Uh, if it's good enough for Snoop Dogg and Willie Nelson, <laughs> it's good enough for me every day. Um. So, so what? Um, what is your position on it and what is your take on what's happened over, say, the last maybe two years in, in, in Delaware? Well, I think that Delaware is on the verge of missing out on a huge opportunity right here um, by um, not jumping in and becoming the first state in the mid-Atlantic to legalize recreational use of marijuana because it's not a question of um, if it's going to happen, it's a question of when it's going to happen. So when you look at it from approach that way, I think that this is something that really needs to be addressed um, quickly. Um, I'm very pleased to see that um, there have been bills that have passed to allow for medical use of marijuana. I know that alternative medicine is certainly something that a lot of people need and, you know, simply by denying it, all you're doing is forcing people to go out of um, legal, safe ways of obtaining um, treatment options. Yeah, well, it's funny that you said that. So I'll tell you my personal story. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's no secret. I smoke as much as I want. I smoke in public. Nobody says anything because, well. You know, why. <laughs> um, that should be obvious. Um, but I figured, you know, they have the the the, the medical um, sort of system as sort of clunky as it is. You know, you, you do that, you you go for this appointment, then you get approval, and then you go back to the other thing, and so you, to get the the, me the medical card, it's kind of clunky. But I, I said I'll, I'll go do that. You know, I'll pay the tax and do do that. So I get all my medical records. I have glaucoma, among other eye problems, as you can probably tell. Um, so I take all of my records there, and I said, uh, so here, here are my records. I have glaucoma. And they said, well, where does it say that? And I said, well, it's a pressure in your eye is what it is. That's what causes the, the thing to go up. So <clears throat> I was diagnosed with it about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they tried to treat it with drops. didn't work. <clears throat> um, then they treated it with uh, like a, a laser treatment that helped the drainage of the fluid, but the pressure goes up and down. In the last three years, 
uh, the pressure stayed very low because I've increased my weed intake for fun. Uh, but <laughs> so it says, so the, so the record says I'm a glaucoma suspect rather than, I think when, when, when the pressure's over a certain amount, it says acute glaucoma or something like that. And then when the pressure's below, cause you know, it's, you're never really cured. It's just what the level is when it's below a certain thing and a certain number, um, you're just a suspect. And it says, well, it's below the number. We can't, we can't approve this. Interesting terminology. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. So, I, so I said, to, well, you know, you always have it. It doesn't because the, it doesn't matter what. So, well, unless the pressure's high, uh, you can't, you can't get it. I said, I, so, so, what are you telling me? I'm supposed to stop and get. Well, she said, you can go back to your doctor, your regular uh, ophthalmologist, get them to write it up, and then come back here, then pay the money to go back. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not going to no. do that. I said, it's no offense to anybody in here. I said, I was just trying to, you know. Do was, the right thing. I was trying to, you know, just. the legal means, Whatever. Right? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I don't really have any problem getting it. I'm not going to do it. Um, so, it's, so as you said, it becomes sort of, it, be, it becomes sort of a farce. Right. So just do it. You're missing an opportunity just to do it. Um, and I think that there's reasons for that. I'm interested to think, I'm interested to hear what. What you think you could do to kind of run up against that? Because we talk about the police union uh, quite a bit in here, and 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 the sway that uh, ex police hold in Dover. And while you know, while they know it's not very dangerous, and while they want to invest in it uh, as soon as possible, and want to make sure that you know all their buddies are able to get it on the ground floor, they also want to be able to search people's cars based on an odor they think they smell. Right. And so it it gets. You it gets know, very tricky. Gets very tricky. Right. Now, um, <clears throat> I guess Paul Bombach was in here talking about his his way of, of sort of attacking it is sort of presenting they're they're the police union's concerned about like driving under the influence. And it's funny, I wish I had pulled it out because I read an article, and maybe after the fact we can we can look it up. But some some information came out that like there's been no change in anywhere, like they can't measure it. Um, it's only if, you, if you've smoked that month, but they see no change in any kind of traffic incidents or deaths, uh, based on it whatsoever. So I'm wondering if that, I know some, some people tweeted it at John Carney. That would be pretty funny if he read that, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't, it, this is another thing that's sort of inscrutable because it's not, the issue is not really what the issue is. No, it's not. It's going to be all the ancillary things. And right. certainly, you know, um, I don't think anyone wants to put, any Delawarean at risk if they're, you know, out on the road or whatever, talking about somebody under the influence. But I think that, you know, I'd be interested to read the articles that you've seen. You know, I have talked a little bit with um, with Paul about it, but not at great length. It's not an issue that I've studied a lot. But um, I certainly do not think that these are insurmountable issues. I think that they just need to be dealt with methodically. And, you know, education is key. Education is really key. Um, you know, it, getting people to understand that safety is not going to be an increased um, concern over passing legislation to allow um, the legality of marijuana. I just don't see, you know, that's what's going to have to happen. Are you familiar with um, Medina's uh, Green New Deal proposal that she's put together? Not much. Um, I honestly... It's very new, actually. Yeah. <laughs> How long has it been out? It's been a, uh, October. a month? October, October, two months. Yeah. Okay. Well, two and a half. But yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty aggressive and it lays out... And again, it all starts from the premise of uh, Delaware being the lowest lying state. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking earlier about... Uh, people worried about development and <coughs> you see all this new development at the beach and all of these big fancy, they're trying to build like floating lots and closed off things. And I'm thinking right. it's not going to be there in 10 years. What are you, what are you doing? But people don't care. They have money to, to burn, but um, th that's going to be an interesting thing. I think here, because um, we were talking yesterday at the rally, the, the only, the only governor that I think did anything that was, worth anything is Russ Peterson. And that was his, you know, that was his, uh, his, his main issue was environment, uh, all of it. So <clears throat> sorry, no problem. But yeah, so <clears throat> the, the I, I want to get into this and see if you have any feeling about it, because I have a, a more general, I have a more general thing I'd like to talk about just regarding 
Delaware Republicans in general. Okay. Um, because your opponent is one. We have people who are. We have people who are challenging. Uh, we have people who are challenging Democratic uh, Democrats from the left. We have people challenging, as you are a, a Republican who's I guess considered a centrist, and that's kind of what we'll get into what that means because I, I don't buy that. Um, but I was I was reading uh, uh, some some articles on a uh, unrelated uh, other thing I'm reading about, and um, I was reading this article about the Delaware Stock Exchange. The woman, whatever it's called, the Delaware trade over the counter trade thing. Yes, DTB. You got it. So uh, Matt Meyer finally stepped up and uh, kind of, you know, it, it appears to me, and, and I hope to get the opportunity to ask him about it. Uh, it appears to me that he finally is like, enough is enough. Uh, you know, we, you know, we basically let every kind of oligarch and corporatist, you know, play around and write rules for them to play around and make money. And now they want to re renegotiate this deal and give us bad collateral. Anyway, without getting into the, the weeds on it, when you get to the bottom, you see that, you know, there's a there's a few Biden cronies uh, and Mike Ramone who are like <laughs> big investors in this. Yep. And so you, you look at that and you're like, OK, so now we have we're we're we're, we're, we're creating another carve out for big corporations just to make money off of money off of nothing. Because we just we, we make it so that their return is protected, and we just you know throw this out there and have you know some other company this I some other company just bought it and now they're going to pay the loan back. It's all it's all a big scam, <clears throat> and this guy's uh, invested in it, which I find perfect. <laughs> um, you know I don't know if you have a comment about that because I just juxtapose it against, and I hope people look this up. Because when you when you challenged Mike Ramone in, in the last election cycle, um, there was a controversy because you had worked at a, at a nonprofit uh, for animals, uh, I guess animal cruelty and adoption and things like that. And as as one does when you run for office, you, you go to your employer and you say, I'm, th I'm thinking of running for office. What are the rules? You know, what do I need to do? You know, how do I go about this? And then they tell you whether what their rules are and they, they give you their blessing to run for office as you're working for another thing. <clears throat> And so uh, I, I suppose what you did, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, that as you kicked off that uh, the, the last campaign, you basically said I've I've spoken to my organization, they're uh, they're they're good with it, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing. <clears throat> right. And so, you know, I don't know how many people work at at at, at Paws. You know, you're helping animals. <clears throat> This guy's this guy's invested in a in a bogus stock exchange, and he's worried about <laughs> you saying that the pause approve your your desire to run for for state representative. But in any case, he 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 files a complaint like a nonprofit is endorsing a candidate. Well, I, I didn't read it that way, and I don't know whether I'm mischaracterizing what you did. I don't I don't think I am. Um, yeah, well, don't ever use the word support. <laughs> yeah, and again, I get it comes down to semantics. Fine, that's that's fine. Um, and then, you know, you, you know, you, you left that, that place because of this, um, it's, it's nonsense, you know, it's nonsense that powerful people can get on, on the ground floor of some opaque financial deal, but you can't say that you got approval from your nonprofit to run for office. You know, people need to start making these these connections about who, what people's intentions are, and who's who's representing whom. That's my commentary. That's my pro Stephanie <laughs> Barry. That's pro Stephanie Barry commentary right well, there, folks. You know, you asked me at the very beginning what the watershed moment was, and I I will honestly tell you that my first my first kind of reaction to um, entering politics locally was, of course, a reaction to the the. 2016 presidential election and you know all of um the the trump republican party and just being disgusted and feeling powerless and you, you start looking in your own backyard and um you know starting being involved in local stuff and hearing about it and then and then realizing that my district was lacking a voice a real voice um if you look at the demographics of the 21st district you're talking about a predominantly um, working class democratic district. Um, these are people that are not rolling in money. 
They're, you know, living, a lot of them are living paycheck to paycheck. They're struggling with things like healthcare. They're struggling things with day-to-day expenses. And I'm realizing that our representative really isn't representative. And, and I feel very strongly that you need to be able to identify with the district. So um, when I start, when I really ran, it was like looking around and saying, why isn't anybody doing this? And um, it hadn't been done because you, you have somebody who has been in the office for a number of years, who um, is, is one of those entrenched you know, Republicans, or let's just say officials, who's got money, who's got connections, and um, a lot of them, you know, from the from D.C. all the way down will throw their weight and their money around and be able to stay in their positions of power. Um, I don't really have any of that goal in mind. You know, when I said, you know, you called me a hero, and I'm like, yeah, no. Um, what I want to do is I want to, I, I don't have this big personal agenda. I'm talking to people every day. Um, we've knocked 3,000 doors in the last couple of months. I talk to people. I want to hear what their concerns are. And those are the things that I want to help bring a voice to the district. And, you know, for me, um, the fact that people with money the people that have been in power are able to continue those ways and not really get, you know, down to brass tacks and down to talking to somebody, you know, listening to somebody who's telling me that they can't afford their medication, that they have a sister who can't afford insulin, that, um, you know, talking to somebody whose son died a few weeks ago from an opioid overdose. These are the stories that I hear at the doors. These are the real people of my district, and I don't need to have money to hear their stories and to bring their issues to Dover. What I need to do is I need to talk to them. I need to have face-to-face conversations with them, and I can tell you that in all of my time in my house in the 21st district, my representative has never knocked on my door. My previous representative, who was Joe Moreau, did. Um, but nobody else has knocked on my door. And many, many people have said they have never had somebody come to their door. And that is what we need to do. We need to be a voice of the people. We need to be a true representative of the people. So all of the issues, you know, I think there is great. I support a living wage because I hear people talk about the need for a living wage. I support um, the cost of health care decreasing the cost of health care because I listen to people's stories that they can't afford it. I experienced that myself. I support bringing expanded access to mental health services. We need a long-term treatment center here in Delaware. I know that because I've had family members who have needed that. I've talked to neighbors who have needed that and they've had to send their their, um, friends and family out of state. These are the issues. So, you know, you talk about a representative, I know there are many representatives who are doing this on a regular basis because I've talked to them. They're friends of mine. They've encouraged me to to connect with the neighbors. And I know that this is something that this district wants and needs. We've done it to fight development. We're doing it right now. There's a group on next door that is gathering on Monday to clean up trash on a Capano property in the in the neighborhood. We're doing it because it matters to the people in the district. So you you talk about, um, you know, moneyed politicians and wealth and and all of that, as far as I'm concerned, could just go away. You know, I'm going to get really, really hokey and say, you know, uh, this is should be a government of the people, by the people and for the people. And I don't consider myself anything but a citizen of the 21st district who wants to bring that voice accurately to Dover. That's beautifully put. I mean, I, I jotted it down when you sent it as a personal agenda. I mean, that's what we were talking about when we talked about the $15 minimum wage. We talked about, you know, there, there are people who have personal agendas and there are people who are looking to serve. Uh, I think that, I, I hope, um, you know, that's why I go on 
to the doors and doing all of that is so important because people get that sense. They're like, oh, you're the person who's going to go do this. They don't even know, you know, what Mike Ramone stands for. Well, they know that he has a coffee on at Crossroads. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, but what people don't, what people don't do, and, and I'll give you, I'll, 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 I'll sort of tell you at a, what the sort of bigger picture that I was looking at is. So I, I've been exchanging some emails with a few um, Republican, we'll call them political apparatchiks, uh, candidates, just Republican folks in Newcastle County. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Because of this latest uh, spate of um, of just comments from Republican officials that are just like, you know, they're just coming out of the woodwork like like cockroaches now, you know, and you know they just make casual homophobic remarks and then they defend them that because they always did it, or they make casual anti-Semitic remarks and it's like free speech issue or something, you know, it's just garbage. Um, you know, they defend stuff on a national level that's just garbage. <laughs> so my question to these folks is like, okay, the reaction is always, well, that's not what the Delaware GOP is. We got to get them out. They got to resign. We got to fire them. That's not what, okay. What is it then? What is it? What do you stand for, Mike Ramone, when you're going to go run as a Republican in Delaware? What does that mean to you? Why do you why do you choose that? Why what's what's going on there? I want to know. Because I know what the 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 Delaware GOP people who answer the question are extremely disgusting human beings. The ones that don't answer the question are under suspicion until they answer it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying that he is. And I'm not saying some of the other people that I've been in contact with are. Some of them I know. I, I, I guess they aren't. But I'm going to put them under suspicion until they go on record and say that they aren't. Well, you know, at this point, the Republican Party has been directly connected with Trump. And as far as I'm concerned, if you are a Republican, you're supporting Trump. And if you're not supporting Trump, then you shouldn't put an R after your name. It's pretty, pretty simple as that. You know, it goes, it goes straight down from that. Um, it's certainly a different party than it was when, um, you know, I first became aware of the political world. It wasn't great then, but it's certainly very different now. And um, I think if if you're going to run under that, then you need to accept the fact that basically you are supporting Republicans all the way up to the White House. Yeah, I mean, that's the leader of, of the National Party. I, I don't think anybody can, um, can deny that. But I that. think a lot of people want to disconnect from that, and I don't think that they can. I, I don't see that they can at all. Here's, and here would be my follow-up question. Because uh, we talked about Russ Peterson earlier, or somebody love that ilk. Um, if you want to run away from it, I, your explanation better be coming fast, and it better be fucking good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, okay, fine. I'm I'm open to allowing, um, you know, the 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 Mike Ramones and the um, is it Kathy Clothier? Is she if she's one of those two, right? Kathy yeah. Kathy Clothier, Clo- Strawbridge and Clothier. Uh, I, I'm I'm willing to listen to James Spadola explain what it is. If you want to, if you want to distance yourself from it, then distance yourself from it. But you you better articulate a pretty goddamn good reason. And and I don't hear anybody I don't hear anybody articulating it. Nobody does. They don't want to because they're not really disassociating themselves from it. Correct. That's correct. That's my that's the feeling that I get. And I I hope that that. Um, I don't know. I hope there's buttons that we can we can we can push on that. And I, it's funny. I, it's it's really. I guess it's not even funny. It's it's sort of disturbing because I don't know. Take somebody like uh, Chris Coons. He just voted for the for the terrible trade deal today. Like he's awful, but but he's but he puts the D next to his name so he can kind of ride that middle. Like. And and Delaware, all 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 of these corporate Democrats do that. Why aren't you doing that? Why are you keep like as you said? 
Why are you sticking around? I'm sticking with it then. I want an explanation. I want an explanation. <laughs> I want an explanation. I, I hope that that's something that um, that comes up. I mean, it sounds sort of. It sounds, on one hand, sort of like identity. Like, what's it matter? What I don't, I don't know. Why do you do it then if it doesn't matter? You know, if it doesn't matter how you run or how you label yourself, then why are you doing it? Well, there are certain delineating. Um, I'd say real distinct value differences in a lot of areas. You know, um, I can tell you that I would say I will just align myself with the Democratic Party on moral principles because for me, people come first. People's lives, their quality of life, making sure that they have access to basic needs, healthcare, food, housing, all of the things that are vital to life and that is kind of top of the agenda and you compare that and it's like you said a little bit more you know well what about the person who wants to you know get ahead in the world or you know economically like no basic needs first you know there's this hierarchy of maslov made a long time ago you know talks about you know you can't really get anywhere unless you have basic needs taken care of well there are basic needs being neglected by millions you know millions of people need things and if we can't take care of those why are we taking care of anything else that needs to come first and so that becomes a basic value difference um i would say that the other side of the aisle for lack of a better word they'd say well you know people need to fight or work or whatever you know yeah that's true but you know in 2020 it's a heck of a lot different than it was 50 years ago, 75 years ago. I know for my kids, I, I mean, my life has been more of a struggle than it was for my parents, but for my kids, I don't know that they're ever going to be able to obtain even what I have, which is a struggle, a good struggle, but it's a struggle. Yeah, I've made that point. Uh, I made it last month, and I don't remember what context it was in, but it's like you hear people... Um, you know, a 50 or 60 year old general, as, as you said, somebody said, well, they need to f fight and use their liberty or whatever. And why can't they work their way through? Oh, that's what it was. It was talking about student debt. Oh, gosh, student debt. And, and, about, <laughs> and, and, and so you'll hear somebody say, some boomer say, well, why can't they work their way through school? I worked my way through school. I'm like, the, the tuition was $33,000. Absolutely. The tuition was twenty five hundred dollars, and the books were two hundred dollars. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you, you, you waited tables through school. I went to a private liberal arts school. I graduated from college in nineteen eighty seven, and the highest my tuition room and board was was eight thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I mean that is so different from. I mean that is everything, all inclusive, all living expenses, books, yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean it's, and again, I think that's why the stories become important because when you tell the stories, hopefully people are like, oh. Yeah, I guess when I went, you know, back in aught two, you know, it was like eight hundred hour. You know, it's not the same. Those days are over. Like we're not living in the same world, you know, that they think we're living in. And I think that's a big problem. That's why, like, the stories you were telling are so important. So you can look at them and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that that doesn't make any sense." The stories really is all we have. You know, it really comes down to the humanness of it all. The stories is all we have. We need to be able to identify and get people's stories told because that's what makes a difference. That's where, you know, when you go to Leg Hall and you listen to people give testimony, it's about stories and the impact that something has or has not had on somebody's life or lives. You know, you look at the success of um, Moms Demand Action and it's all about stories. It's about what has happened to people and why things need to change. And those stories, that narrative is really essential to um, imparting any type of change and improving the quality of life of the people in Delaware and beyond. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm gonna, here, here's the time. I know you've been waiting. You've been waiting. So it's electstephanieberry.com. <laughs> I have name. <laughs> electstephanieberry.com. That's right. Hit the donate button. Uh, I believe that the um, the maximum donation is is only a small. It's only six hundred dollars. Only six hundred. It's just six hundred dollars. Change. I'm, I'm I'm channeling my my inner uh, Vanessa here. Um, 
yeah, look at the look at the program. Uh, if you're in the 21st district, if you're not in the 21st district, give money anyway. So, um, yeah, you are a hero. So whether you say it or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, elect com. Get there. Give money. Volunteer. Go knock doors. Talk to people. You'll find out what's going on in the suburbs. That would be great uh, because we have to we have to fight everywhere or else this is not going to work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Cool. Uh, everyone, uh, we're going to have a very special announcement coming up here in a week or two. Uh, we're going to be starting up something very fun. Um, I'll give you a little more information probably next week, maybe coming going into February. Um, I hope you've considered writing uh, Chelsea Manning a letter. I gave you that information over the new year. Now that Lula's out, we got to get Chelsea Manning out. We're, we're focusing on political prisoners around the world. we got to get them out. All right, everybody. Um, left is best. Speak with you soon. Cheers. Cheers.